Father in heaven, we just thank you again for this morning. And thank you for this privilege of worshiping you and opening up your word. God, we pray, as Ellen White says, for the present blessing right now. Lord, we pray that our hearts and minds will be drawn to you. And as we open up the word of God, may you speak to us, may you convict us, and lead us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, how many people have their Bibles? Put your Bibles in the air if you have a Bible. All right, look to the person next to you with a judgmental look for not bringing their Bible to church this morning. Look, your hair may not work right on Sabbath. Your clothes may not fit right. You look a little off. Uh, you may forget all sorts of things when you get to church, but the one thing we never want to forget is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to be taking a good look at the Bible, and we're going to be looking at a very powerful story in the Scriptures. Now, I want to warn you not to fall asleep. Amen? Amen. Uh, because when you read the book of Acts, you remember what happened to one man when he fell asleep? <laughs> right? You know what's really powerful about that story, though? It's the story of a young adult who decided to hear the preaching of God's Word. He fell asleep. He fell out the window, and he died. But that's not the end of the story, right? He was resurrected, and I love what is said right afterwards. And the church was not a little comforted. In other words, when a young adult hears God's word, he goes through a death, but then he goes through a resurrection, and an entire church can be impacted by that life. Amen. This morning, as I said before, we're going to be taking a good look at the life of Daniel. Now, I really like the story of Daniel. And this morning, when I was actually studying out this story, God began to give me some additional thoughts to what I was going to preach about. In fact, I came across this verse that's oftentimes used many times during evangelistic series. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. But what is so remarkable about this verse that is used over and over again, maybe on placards, maybe it's used in a painting at your church, or maybe it's something you put on Facebook, is the context of this verse. You see, God gave this verse during the time Israel was about to go into 70 years of captivity under Babylonian rule. For 70 years, they would be under a bondage in Babylon, under Babylon, and it was through what was going on that God gave this beautiful promise that is found in the book of Jeremiah. Notice what the Bible says right here. For I know the what? Thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they say something like this? They'll say, hey, I know what I'm thinking. They're trying to assure you of something, so they'll say something like, hey, I know what's going on. I know what I'm saying right now. And essentially what they're saying is, What's coming out of my mouth is really what's in my heart. So when God is saying, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, he essentially is saying, look, I know what's really in my heart. So what's in God's heart? Let's read the rest of the verse. It says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a what? A hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me 
and find me when you search for me with all your what? You know where God wants us to start today? With our hearts. And this beautiful passage of God's promise, God's hope, was given to a people who were about to go into bondage. A time of oppression, a time of confusion. And this is the context of the story of Daniel. You know, when I first became um, interested in studying out the Bible, as I said, somebody said before, I was actually born and raised a Hindu. I also come from a Sikh background. Now, that may, may not make a lot of sense to people, but in India, it makes perfect sense. Um, Hinduism is polytheistic. Sikhism is monotheistic, sort of a pantheistic monotheism. Uh, but in India, you can do two things that are contradictory to each other. That's possible. That's why they call it the land of contradictions, right? And so I was born and raised with these kinds of religious uh, backgrounds. And what was really interesting is when I began to study the Bible, somebody introduced me to the book of Daniel. I tried picking up the Bible before, and growing up, there was lots of spiritual liter literature. My dad's closet had all these books on Hinduism and Radhaswami and Satsangi. And I would go into his library, and I would sit down, I would open up these books, and I could not understand a single thing. I thought to myself, if I couldn't understand it, it was because it was way beyond human com comprehension. This is something that must be of God if it cannot be understood. That's the reasoning of a 14-year-old kid. But then when someone began to introduce me to the Bible, I remember picking up the Bible. And I was still going to the Sikh temple, and we still had Hindu idols in the house. But I would pick up the Bible, and I would open up the Bible, and I'd read stories. Very interesting stories. And I would try to pick up on the lessons that were coming out of these stories. But for some reason, I was not able to connect and understand the Bible. But it wasn't until I came across the Seventh-day Adventist. And the very first book that he introduced me to, guess what? Was the book of Daniel. And it was through the book of Daniel that I really began to understand the rest of Scripture. For some reason, the book of Daniel seemed to connect with me. Now, just think about this. The book of Daniel starts with a group of vegetarians. <laughs> right? Daniel chapter 2 is that these group of vegetarians apparently know Bible prophecy. Daniel chapter 3, this group of vegetarians apparently stand for the Ten Commandments. And Daniel chapter 4, the very individual who they have come in contact with has his own personal story of how God changed his life. And so I began to study out the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is so remarkable. One day when I was actually in my philosophy of science class in um, Modesto, I never forgot on the very last day, um, the teacher had really dedicated the last few months of attacking creationism. And so on the very last day, I, you know, I had been preparing and I'd been praying, but um, it wasn't just a, a very easy place to connect and witness with pe to people. And so as she was going about, you know, the final, you know, last 20 minutes of her presentation, I, for some reason, raised my hand. And the context in which she was talking about was the National Academy of Science, their criteria for um, what is authentic science. So I raised my hand and I said, if you look at criteria number four, it says that science must be testable and must be repeatable. 
And I said, how would you test the theory of macroevolution? If it's based upon billions of years of uh, this planet and millions of years of life evolving, how would you be able to test that in our short lifetime? She responds by saying, well, what you would do is you would go back into the data and you would study out what might be the effects of that theory. And I said, okay. So I raised my hand again, very obnoxiously. I was really quite surprised at myself that day. <laughs> and I raised my hand and I said, well, that's really interesting. And I said, over the last hundred years, wouldn't you admit that there has been lots of hoaxes and fabrication to make the theory of evolution work? And she, I just, you know, here's the thing. I, look, I just saw her throat become uncomfortable. It's really weird. I just saw something change in her throat and just her voice begin to crack a little bit. And she said these words, yes, that's actually very true. So I raised my hand again, and everyone began to look at me, and I was wondering to myself, what am I doing at this very moment? And raised my hand, and I asked the question. I said, how many alterations does the theory need before it's finally dismissed? And she just does this. She said, Anel, that's actually a very good question, and that's why we're here. And then she just says these words, and now we're going to end this class. And thus, philosophy of science was ended that semester. But there was this tension in the air, and I was just wondering to myself, why did I say all these things, right? I never forgot, I was sitting in that class, there was a guy next to me. He gives me a high five right afterwards. And I'm like, what? Why did you give me a high five? And he's like, I'm not Seventh-day Adventist, but I'm dating one. <laughs> and he says, I believe what you're talking about. I was like, all right. There was another brother in front of me, and he, he just said, hey, you know, I like what you shared. I want to, you know, study your paper on intelligent design. So I said, all right. But it was the third guy who, right in front of the class, he does this. He says, hey, man, I want to talk to you. <laughs> so I said, okay. So we walked outside, and it was really interesting. We began to talk, and he said, look, I've heard everything you said before. I don't believe a single thing. And I said, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, I've studied out the Bible. I was actually born and raised a Roman Catholic. He said, I took Bible studies, and I don't believe anything. And then I said these words. I said, you ever study out the book of Daniel? And he said these words. No, I haven't. You know, it's really interesting that people who studied out the Bible many times will overlook the book of Daniel. And then I said these words to him. I said, would you ever be interested in studying out the book of Daniel? And for some reason, his countenance changed. And he said, yes, I would. <laughs> and I realized, I was like, wow, the book of Daniel is an opening with lots of people, right? Because the book of Daniel is oftentimes seen as a mysterious book in the Bible. When people are studying out the scriptures, oftentimes the book of Daniel is overlooked. Why? Because it's a book about symbols and prophecies. But the book of Daniel is a powerful book because it allows us to connect and understand the times that we are living in. Can you say amen to that? But the book of Daniel has Jesus Christ throughout the entire book. And that's why that book is so relevant to you and to me. Revelation describes end time events. But the book of Daniel is a microcosm of those end time events and how someone survived, lived, and thrived during those events. This morning, we're going to be studying out the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, go to Daniel chapter 
1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. As I was walking in, somebody gave me this lovely Advent Hope water bottle. Double walled? That's what I was told. How many people here appreciate gifts? Amen. So do I. And it's really interesting when you study out Daniel chapter 1, God is giving lots of gifts. What do you mean by that, Pastor Nell? Daniel is thrust into the very first chapter of chapter 1. But if you notice, God is giving things, isn't he? Daniel, or excuse me, God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of who? Nebuchadnezzar. But if you keep reading, it, the Bible tells us that God gave favor, right, to Daniel with the chief of the eunuchs. But then you continue reading in the book of Daniel, and you'll find out that God gives wisdom and knowledge. So when you're reading the book of Daniel, you're finding out God is giving lots of things. What is he giving? He gives to Daniel circumstances. He gives Daniel relationships. And then he gives Daniel talents. And so the book of Daniel chapter 1 is about God giving circumstances, relationships, and abilities to Daniel. And now it was up to Daniel to make a decision upon what he would do with it. God gives opportunities, and our success depends upon our use of those opportunities. Can you say amen to that? The book of Daniel is this powerful soil in which God does great things. Now, I know you have your finger on Daniel chapter 1, but keep it there. I want you to go all the way to chapter 12 right now. Daniel chapter 12. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, is this sermon relevant to me right now? It will be very relevant to you, I promise. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. I want you to look at the very last verse of the book of Daniel, chapter 12, the very last verse. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. But notice what God says to Daniel. And you won't find a greater affirmation of studying out the book of Daniel than this very last verse. But you, go your way till the end. For you shall what? And will arise to your inheritance when? Do you know what God told Daniel in the very last verse of the book of Daniel? You have the assurance of eternal life. In other words, if you were to take the entire book of Daniel and you would say, where is the ultimate point of success in the book of Daniel? You would fast forward all the way to the very last chapter, to the very last verse, and there you will find God's affirmation upon Daniel's life. Now think about it. How many books in the Bible really end like this? Daniel, you have eternal life. You have the assurance that when I return, you will be part of that faithful group. And it's so amazing, friends, because this is the ultimate point of success in the book of Daniel. However, you would never ever have Daniel chapter 12, the very last verse, if it wasn't for the very first chapter in the book of Daniel. So let's take our Bible. 
Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. You know the context. Daniel has been carried away into Babylon. And so you start seeing this onslaught against a Hebrew identity, Hebrew way of life, and Hebrew religion. Notice what the Bible says in verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacy, and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gives names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now notice this. This is really interesting. You start seeing this onslaught this conquering of Hebrew identity and Hebrew religion, Hebrew way of life. And all of a sudden, that onslaught is interrupted by the next verse. Notice what the Bible says next. This is powerful. It says these words, but Daniel. In other words, as this Babylonian onslaught is taking place, you get this sudden stop. Because one young man decides to make a decision about something. Notice what the Bible says right here. But Daniel, what? Purposed. That's a powerful word right there. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The Bible tells us in this moment, heading in one direction where it seems all the Hebrews are capitulating. One man, one individual decides to make a decision. But notice where the decision begins. It begins in his heart. He decided in this first lesson in the book of Daniel to make a Christ-centered decision. And that Christ-centered decision was so powerful. It was a catalyst for the conversion of other people. Well, how do you know that? Because he has three friends who decide to join him. Do you remember what the three friends' name is? Name are? Shadrach, Meshach, and what? Abednego. Now, this is very interesting. The reason why it's interesting, because it says, it doesn't say they purposed in their heart, does it? It tells us Daniel purposed in his heart, and because he purposed in his heart, apparently it had a powerful influence upon three other Hebrews who happened to be there. You know, it's really interesting. I really love what Ellen White says right here. She says something so powerful, and I believe it's worth recording. She says these words, Every soul is surrounded by an atmosphere of its own. An atmosphere, it may be charged with life-giving power, faith, courage, and hope, and sweet with the fragrance of love. But notice the contrast. Or it may be heavy, 
chilled with the gloom of discontent and selfishness, or poisonous with the deadly taint of cherished sin. By the atmosphere surrounding us. Now, she sounds a little new agey when you read this next part, but as you continue to flush it out, you realize what she's saying right here. But by the atmosphere surrounding us, every person with whom we come into contact, notice these next few words, is consciously or what? Unconsciously affected. Friends, there's something to understand about Daniel as this young man who was in the middle of this very confusing place. He decides to make a decision born out of conviction by the Holy Spirit in harmony with the truths of God's word. And as he makes this decision, all of a sudden the people around him begin to change. Have you ever changed your diet and then you find some of your friends begin to change your diet? You guys are not successful with the health message right now. <laughs> I've noticed in my friend group that whenever I make a change in one of my habits, whatever it is, I find that some of my friends begin to make similar changes and they begin to reap the benefits. You know what you start picking up about Daniel's life? He was a very good small group leader. Amen. He was a very, group, good, a very good small group leader. By the way, you know the very first small group in the Bible? Wrong. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but one thing you know about Daniel is that he has this small group in Babylon, and apparently this group has an effect upon everybody else. Think about this. Daniel's key to leadership in this small group was this. He purposed in front of his friends. Number two, Daniel prayed with his friends. Do you remember in chapter two? Whenever King Nebuchadnezzar said, we're going to destroy all the wise men, do you know what Daniel did? He raced home and he told his friends. Can you imagine a prayer meeting starting like this? By the way, we are going to die tomorrow. <laughs> Can we pray? Number one, Daniel purposed in front of his friends. Number two, Daniel prayed with his friends. But when you read the end of Daniel chapter two, you know what you'll discover? Is that Daniel, when he is exalted, begins to promote his friends. He petitions the king so that three of his friends can be promoted with him. So notice this. Number one, Daniel purposes in front of his friends. Number two, Daniel prays with his friends. And Daniel three, the number three is that Daniel seeks the promotion of his friends. He was a very good small group leader. Amen. But there was something powerful about Daniel's influence. He seemed to be the kind of person that when everybody else was going in a certain direction, when he felt convicted by the Spirit of God, he put his foot in the ground, and with love and tact, he shared what was going on in his heart. I love the book of Daniel, because oftentimes when you study out the book of Daniel, commentators will say something like this. They'll say, hey, the book of Daniel is really about the preservation of life in the book of Daniel. There was danger. There was great, uh, you know, uh, problems that were happening with Daniel and the other Hebrews. So people will say, it's a story about the miracles of preserving life. But rather, the book of Daniel is the story of how God's power preserved his integrity rather than just his life. Through Babylon and all the temptations that were sweeping upon the Hebrews that were in that area, 
Many of them were capitulating. Many of them were falling and accepting what was going on. Daniel made a decision. God preserved his integrity during that time. And I think to me, that is the biggest miracle in the book of Daniel. As Daniel made decisions, the friends around him began to make decisions. Friends, we need to understand something about Daniel, and that is this, is that Daniel was a mover and shaker in the land of, land of Babylon. His vibe attracted his tribe. Amen? So I'm in this MPH course right now, and I don't know why I took it. Actually, I know why I took it. God really led me into it. But, you know, I'm taking biostats right now, and I absolutely hate biostats. Anybody here love biostatistics? Look at all these hands that are raised right now. How many people do not like biostatistics? Raise your hand. <laughs> That's better. All right. So I'm taking this biostatistics class, right? And before this class, I had to take a class on habits, health habits, how to change health behavior in the population. And uh, I was reading this book. It was the textbook that, were, that was given to us. And the textbook sums up how people can change habits. And it sums, us, sums up the most successful point of changing a habit. And notice this right here. If you have a goal but are frustrated in reaching it, use this thumb of rule. Okay, what is it? You are not enough involved in activities with people who share your goal as a value. Friends, if you're trying to conquer a habit or you're trying to produce a habit, you know what you need to do? You need to be around people who are heading in the same direction. You know, I was giving counsel to one of my young adults. And, uh, you know, he was interested in this person. And so I asked him a question. I said, is the person you're interested in, are they ministry-minded? The response was, well, they don't work for the church. I didn't ask that question. I said, are they ministry-minded? Why do you ask that question? Well, you're ministry-minded. And if they're not ministry-minded, you know what's going to happen? A car collision. Friends, if you're going to get married to somebody, you want to marry someone who's heading in the same direction spiritually as you are. And if heaven is your final destination, guess what? You want somebody who's heading in that same direction. Can you say amen to that? But the journey is just as important with that destination as well. And so it's very important that you're finding people who have the same desires as you do and the same convictions. Doesn't mean everything has to be lined up. But in a general sense, if ministry is life for you, whether you're paid by the church or whether you're not, you want to find somebody who has that same passion. Can you say amen to that? And that's very important. Daniel was somebody like that. As he began to change and influence his friends, they became focused in the same direction. And it's really remarkable because in Daniel chapter 3, when Daniel is nowhere to be found, do you know what happens to his three friends? They are tested in the fire. And I love that story. You want to know why? Because when they're thrown into that fiery furnace, do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar says? He says, I see how many men? Four men. But he didn't just say he sees four men. Do you notice what, what else he said? No, no, no. You missed it. There was a verb being used there. Walking. I see four men walking. You're like, what's the big deal with that, Pastor Nell? It's a big deal. 
because they never walked out of the fire. In other words, they understood it was safer in the fire with Jesus than it was outside of the fire without him. They were enjoying the fire walking around. I don't know what kind of conversation was going on there. But they were loosed. And Jesus was in the fire with them. And apparently it was more enjoyable than going outside the fire. Friends, this teaches us a powerful truth about the kinds of people that we are associating ourselves with. And it's very crucial we understand this because more and more we're told in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Amen? Amen. But it's the next verse that we forget. Even so more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as we get closer and closer to the second coming, you know what we need to do? We need to continually meet as God's people. That needs to increase where there is a great bond that is happening, a unity where everyone can see great things are taking place. Friends, this is a very important point. Point number two is this. The Bible tells us that health became an issue. Health became an issue. Let's read what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for how many days? And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacy. And as you see what? Fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them ten days. Friends, this is a powerful point because it teaches us Daniel understood something about the laws of health. He understood in order to have a clear mind, to be able to be spiritually strong and to resist temptation and use your gifts for God, he needed to have a mind and body that was not tainted by heaviness or by, you know, strong inclinations towards sin. And so he made sure that his diet was on par. So I think it was December of last year. Do you remember when everyone was getting sick? I mean, like really sick. And uh, I got really sick in December. Like I got really, really sick. And I got better. And then a week later, I got sick again. And I thought, this is absolutely horrible. But it was during that time of sickness, I decided to do something. I said, you know what? I am going to do a 10-day detox. So I did it. Three days of juicing, seven days of raw. By the way, any medical advice, please see your doctor about this. I don't get sued. So anyways, I did this. I felt so amazing. And it was really interesting. During this 10 day of detox, literally, I would wake up with food on my mouth, the taste of food. I'd wake up and I was like, why am I craving a veggie burger right now? I go to sleep as I'm laying down to sleep. All of a sudden, I'm like, why am I craving tacos right now? And it was like my body was like, give me food now, give me food. And I was resisting it. Came to the end of that and I thought to myself, you know what, I need to change. I need to change my diet. And so I'm going straight vegan. And I mean, not just your kind of vegan. I'm like, I am going hardcore vegan. It's Indian thing, we go crazy and everything. <laughs> so I did. And I noticed the inflammation going away. I thought I had knee joint issues, but the inflammation was going with my knees, my neck, because I broke my back years ago, repelling. Like the inflammation was going away. I'm like, why do I feel so amazing? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm benching more, and I'm not getting injured every other week. 
And it was so interesting. I started telling people about it, and sometimes they loved it, sometimes they didn't. Until I stumbled across a very interesting group of studies. And I'm going to share it with you. One thing you notice about Daniel is Daniel begins to showcase the principles behind his religion. He begins to share through his life experience what God was doing and what God had said regarding the laws of health. And I really think it's important that as God's people, we don't need to be boastful about our health, but we do need to be excited about these principles. Can you say amen to that? So anybody know what Tinder is? Raise your hand if you know what Tinder is. We will be praying for you after this meeting. <laughs> no, you know what Tinder is. Tinder is a dating website, very inappropriate dating website. And it's a dating website not used really for networking. It's used for what they call hookups or one-night stands or so-and-so. Some of you are like, oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> so PETA, do you know what PETA is? What's PETA? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. It's like CPS, but for animals, right? <laughs> so PETA decided to do an anecdotal experiment where they took a man, one individual, one of their workers, and put him on Tinder. But what they did is that they had him mark in the stats or biostats that he was a vegan and one that he was a voracious carnivore. And so in these pictures, they would show him wearing a vegan shirt, and the other one would say something like, bacon is life. In fact, here's a picture right here. And so he would be in one picture holding a dog. In another picture, he would be holding a steak. And the funny thing is, they found that the vegan identification, he got twice as much swipes than he did in the meat eater. But it was the exact same picture and the exact same poses. And so what they did is they took this experiment and they said, maybe it's just, maybe it's just random thing that happened here in America. Let's take it to Australia. They found nearly the exact same results. Apparently, his vegan image and the things associated with the plant-based diet got him more hookups. <laughs> Some of you have finally figured out why you're still single. <laughs> oh, we're not done yet. It's quite interesting because they did this study in different places using the exact same picture and they found nearly the same results. Is that the vegan guy, the plant-based guy, was getting double the amount of swipes. Swipes is essentially, I'm not quite sure how that function works, but I guess it means that somebody is interested in you. So he was seen as more attractive because he was on a plant-based diet. Now, you may say, wait just a second, Pastor, now, you've got to convince me more. Oh, I will. Watch. <laughs> so there was a study done on odor. And so what they did is they took a group of men, and they placed them on a purely carnivorous diet. They just ate lots of meat. Then they took another group of men, and they put them on a plant-based diet where they ate lots of fruits and vegetables. And then what they did is they took cotton pads, placed them under the armpit, had them sweat during exercise, took those cotton pads, and took it before a group of women. <laughs> because they wanted to see how uh, women were interpreting this smell. And the results are quite interesting. 
Here it is. Body odors were collected by having subjects place cotton pads under their arms for 24 hours. The odor-infused pads were then collected, placed in jars, and sniffed by 30 female students. What is the result? Women rated body odors of the men, talking about plant-based men, to be more sexier, more pleasant, and less intense after they, given, after they had given up meat for two weeks. Oh, it gets more amazing than this. The sweat produced by veg-eating men was described as floral, fruity, <laughs> sweet, having medicinal qualities. Men, you don't have to worry about giving flowers. You can be the flower. <laughs> Some of you are probably wondering if you should eat that chicken before you go on the Sabbath hike this afternoon. But I think there's something to be said about Daniel. Apparently, he was seen differently. And it was through his appearance that the prince of the eunuchs begins to change his mind on the question of health. What Daniel could not convince him by words, he used his life as a witness. Oh, we're not done yet. This goes a step further. Because there was another study done on people who ate lots of fruits versus people who ate lots of meats. And what they discovered was quite interesting. Fruit and vegetable consumption and the ingestion of carotenoids, which is basically a bioactive compound that's found in fruits like pigment and people who partake of it, this is the change that happens, to be associated with more human skin color, yellowness. In a recent cross-sectional study, this carotenoid-based coloration contributes beneficially to the appearance of health in humans and is held to be in a sexually selected cue of condition in other species. In other words, if you were to interpret it, what it's saying is those that ate most amount of fruits and vegetables apparently became more yellow. <laughs> You're not convinced by this, and I understand why when I first read it. And essentially, I think as Dr. McDougall began to talk about this, and he said, look, we call it the golden glow. <laughs> and he said the golden glow, whether people were very, very dark-skinned or very, very light-skinned, if they had this golden glow from the consumptions of fruits and vegetables, they were seen as more attractive in this research. In fact, Dr. Greger uh, from uh, Nutrition uh, Facts talks about this. He says, studies have shown that the more yellow a person's skin tone, our Asian brothers and sisters have a head start on us, don't they? <laughs> Let's keep going. A yellow, a person's skin tone, the more attractive they are rated by the opposite sex. The healthy appearance of skin yellowness may be attributed to dietary carotenoid disposition in the skin. It's only a diet high in fresh fruits and vegetables that leads to a higher levels of these glowing carotenoids. Friends, are you convinced about eating plant-based foods? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to be married by the end of the year now. <laughs> but I think this does teach us something about Daniel, doesn't it, right? Apparently, he, he was in a, a better appearance than these men because he started making choices. Daniel chapter 1 is the chapter about little decisions. Every other chapter is about big decisions. But as I said before, Daniel chapter 12 all the way back would never have taken place if it wasn't for Daniel chapter 1. And so the little decisions in Daniel's life contributed to big things that were taking place. Mark Batterson one time said these words. He said he's an author. He said... Look, 
If you do little things like they're big things, God will regularly do little things like they're, or do big things like they're little things. And so as we're faithful, even in little things, and we begin to make decisions in the right area, especially as this new school year is starting, we will reap the benefits of it. And you will see great things. Daniel made a decision. Lord, I want to honor you with not just the way I live my life, but with the things I eat. He found God's greatest blessings that took place. Amen? Daniel chapter 1, what have we learned so far? Daniel purpose in his heart. He became an influence to the people around him. Daniel chapter 1, second lesson is that Daniel made health something to be showcased for the glory of God. And Daniel chapter 1, lesson number 3 is this. Daniel has a very special focal point in his studies. Well, what was that? Notice what the Bible says right here. And for these four young men, God gave them what? Knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Now, if we stop right there, we can say, well, they had a great education, didn't they? God guided them, prevented them to be eclipsed and dominated and seduced by Babylonian education. But there's an added caveat to Daniel's studies. Notice what the Bible says right here. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and what? Do you know what Daniel made a personal study in his life about? It was understanding prophecy. Look, Daniel was not a pastor. He was not somebody that was paid to work for the church. He wasn't a conference evangelist. He wasn't a director of ministries. But he made a personal study in his life prophecy. In fact, God gave him special insight to what was taking place. Now, where am I going with this? Daniel was given understanding, but it didn't just stop there. Not only was Daniel given understanding, he was also called to participate in prophetic events. It is because Daniel understood the big picture of things. He understood what God was up to. And he waited at strategic moments to be a witness and to share. And if you notice something about Daniel's tact and his wisdom, you'll notice that people are open to hearing his counsel at very difficult times. Why? Because Daniel understood visions and dreams. He had an understanding of prophecy. Though he himself was not an evangelist, as we understand evangelists today, no, he was not somebody who was paid by the church to talk about prophecy. He was somebody who was in Babylonian education. He was in the midst of Babylon. But he made a personal decision. He was going to study out Bible prophecy. I don't know if you remember what we talked about in the very beginning. That promise where God says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you in a future hope, future and a hope. That was given in context of the 70-year captivity. Daniel was living in the midst of the 70-year captivity. And what is so amazing is the very last verse of Daniel chapter 1 is an insight to the blessings of God. And it says that Daniel lived until who? Cyrus was the king 
that let Israel go. It was the end of the 70-year prophecy. In other words, Daniel lived in prophecy. He participated in prophecy. And he saw the conclusion of prophecy, specifically in regards to the 70-year captivity. Friends, when God gives us understanding and prophecy, he doesn't want us simply to be a passive actor. What am I saying here? Am I saying, go out and get involved in politics? Absolutely not. What I am saying is, there's lots of people here who need to understand the things that you have come to understand. God is giving you understanding and prophecy to share prophecy. Amen. Joseph, when he interpreted Pharaoh's decision, do you know what he did? He didn't just stop right there. He gave Pharaoh a solution. He wasn't just prophecy's problem causer. He was prophecy's problem solver as well. And friends, when we study out what's going on here, we begin to understand something, and that is this. God wants us to keep studying out the times that we're living in. Don't get caught up in this idea or these thoughts that are sometimes, you know, drifting around in the church. Oh, we don't need to be worried about prophecy and all that stuff. No, you need to. God wants you to have an understanding of what's going on. But at the same time, understanding that Christ is our focal point. Can you say amen to that? And it is Christ, what Christ is doing and what he has done and what he is going to do. That is ultimate, ultimately prophecy's purpose. So where am I going with this? God is calling you. God wants you not only to study out prophecy, but participate in it. And as you share the gospel with others, you will see what God is doing. Something happened to me a couple years ago. I was a conference evangelist. And as I said before, I broke my back. I'm always injuring myself. And so I was going to this chiropractor, and then I had to do a series in Fresno, California, been to Fresno, California. Um, it's very, very big. And uh, so I was going online. I want to find out Fresno's best chiropractor. What's the, who's the best chiropractor they have? And I found him. And so I called. I showed up. And sure enough, there was a line outside his, his office. And I thought to myself, I'm going to just walk the other way. I don't want to come here. I'll go somewhere else. But I decided to stick it out. Went in there, waited about 25 minutes. Finally, the chiropractor brought me into the office. His name was Tom. He did some scans. He looked at me. And he, he's like, you know, wow, you're going to need lots of work. I said, okay, great. Very intense. He's the kind of person when they're talking, you know how they get up right in your grill and they talk to you? That's Tom. And so this was taking place. And you know, the funny thing is, I had a flyer for an evangelistic series, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm not really good with literature. I'm not really good at passing out literature. Anybody else like that? They're just like, okay, like if you try to give literature, you, it's really awkward. That's like me. And one time I had to get a prescription, and uh, I had some glow. It was literature. And I handed it to the prescription lady, and I just like floored it and drove off. <laughs> so I'm not really good with that. But I'll still try. I'll still try so I had some literature, and I'm like, man, this is an invitation. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give it to him. He was talking the entire time. I didn't even have, like, a moment to give him anything. Finally, at the end, I was like, hey, thanks. And I handed him the literature. I'm like, check this out. And I literally walked off. <laughs> and I just looked back. He takes it, doesn't even look at it, puts it around the counter, whatever. Funny thing is, 
the series started a few days later, and sure enough, in the front row, there was Tom. And it's funny, when I talked to him, he's like, actually, I came on Thursday because I started on Thursday. So he was a day early, but he's like, I'm glad I'm on the right day. He stayed the entire series. I baptized him. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. And I realized something. I'm like, man, this guy didn't look like a candidate for the kingdom. The circumstance didn't seem to be where it seemed like God was providentially leading me to this man. But you know, I know that every person is called to be part of God's kingdom. Friends, you may be called to be a Daniel in the midst of all the confusion, the onslaught of evil and sin. God calls you to purpose in your heart, to be an influence for the good of your brothers and sisters. God calls you to make decisions that will help you to be the very best happy and holy and you know, healthy kind of person. And number three, God wants you to understand the very special times that we are living in, friends. Strange things are afoot. But God wants us to be like Daniel. His confidence is in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, just want to thank you for being our God. We thank you that the God of Daniel is our God too. Lord, I want to pray for every person here, those that may be struggling, fighting a hand-to-hand battle with sin, those that feel greatly tempted, Lord, for those that are confused and those that feel alone in a foreign land, God, I pray that you would bless them and remind them, God, that the life of Daniel can be their life. God, may our hearts and minds be on you this beautiful Sabbath. And Lord, as we go about this day, may we be witnesses of your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.